out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everyone. Glad you could join us, as always. We have a very important show today. You know, sometimes our shows are, are fun and sometimes they're, you know, exciting. Today... I would say our show is vital because understanding what we're going to be talking about today is about as critical uh, an issue as you can get. I think that you know we've seen over the years a, a number of different approaches that various environmental groups have taken to get all the rest of us uh, who may or may not be card-carrying members of the Sierra Club uh, involved in, concerned about, and motivated to do something about climate change and environmental uh, protection. And some of those efforts have included things like Woods of the Owl and that, that campaign, uh, Give a Hoot, Don't Pollute, that was back in the 70s. We've seen uh, uh, polar bears stranded on uh, floating ice rafts, you know, that, that show global climate change and, and what have you. But I think that today's guest and the book that he and Paul Epstein have written actually bring it on home in a new way, and that is what are the human health effects? What is going to happen uh, to our children, to our grandchildren, if climate change continues on the course that we're on? And so today we're joined by Dan Ferber. Uh, of his many accomplishments, and really I'd, I'd invite you to check out his bio. It's part of our guest directory on the Go Green Radio website. Uh, one of the things that popped out of your bio, Dan, uh, was, of course, that you have a master's in journalism from the University of Illinois. So, Oski, wow, wow to you. I'm an alumna uh, of the University of Illinois. But welcome to Go Green Radio, Dan. I'm glad that you could join us. Thanks very much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I, I want to congratulate you on your brand new book. It's called Changing Climate, Changing Health, How the Climate Crisis Threatens Our Health and What We Can Do About It. Uh, I'd love for you to give our listeners an overview of the book and some of the goals that you had in mind when you wrote it. Sure, ab absolutely. Joe. Ch changing Planet, Changing Health uh, it arose uh, uh, about a few years ago. And... Uh, well, climate change, is, as you mentioned, I mean, it's often portrayed as, as a... Uh, a bit of an abstract issue. It's, uh, it's somewhat of a distant threat. You hear about polar bears on ice flows, as you mentioned, and also when it, when it comes to human effects, you, you hear about uh, Pacific Islanders who might be losing losing their land due to rising sea level and Alaskan natives. And um, we wanted to let people know that it's it's really it's not about polar bears. It's it's about us. It's about all of us, and that that climate change is already having uh, harmful effects on on people's health and that uh, we need to take the problem seriously and uh, take measures uh, to, to, to do something about it. So as far as, as, far as uh, what the book is about, it's, it's 
I would say, in, in a nutshell, we, we, we are promoting this, this uh, idea that, that this, is, this is a human health problem and that we need to take solutions to protect human health. But the way, the way that the book explores this issue, uh, my co-author, Dr. Paul Epstein, has been a leader in this field for, for two decades. He's associate director for the Center for Health and the Global Environment at Harvard Medical School. And the book kind of traces his journey as a physician and public health scientist and how he started connecting the dots with climate and health in the 90s and uh, realizing that there, there were potentially serious, serious issues and, and over, over time tried to get to the root of the problem, and the problem is us burning fossil fuels on a massive scale. That is the root of the problem that causes climate change and all its effects. And over the past decade or 15 years, exploring a number of solutions, working with people in the business sector, in uh, international diplomacy, government policy leaders, all of these people. So Dr. Epstein has, has explored uh, the problem from a number of angles and, and devised a set of solutions that are designed to protect human health. So the other thing the book does is we wanted to bring people uh, to where this is happening already. So climate change is already harming people's health in, in, in certain ways in certain parts of the world. And the book takes uh, readers to these places. Uh, I, I traveled to the uh, Mount Kenya area in uh, Kenya, the Highlands area, where which used to be too cool for uh, malaria. The mosquitoes couldn't survive there. That's not the case anymore. And I met a uh, malaria expert who is, is, is working, to, working on this issue, uh, traveled to Honduras uh, to observe the long-term after-effects of a huge hurricane, Hurricane Mitch in 1998, which is still affecting the country. And uh, strong hurricanes are expected to, to become more common in the century. And uh, traveled to Harlem to look at the effects of uh, burning fossil fuels on air pollution, asthma. So there's a number of, of ways this is already happening, and we wanted people to appreciate uh, that by meeting some of the people who are already wrestling with this issue. Well, and I do appreciate that about the book. I mean, it's it's written in such a way that it's a it's a it's a story. Um, you know, it's not just a bunch of facts and figures, though it's rich in excellent research. But it really does approach this issue from a uh, the way that you might sit down and and talk with someone, uh, a real person, about it. It's very anecdotal, and I, I think that makes it accessible to a lot of readers who might not otherwise want to tackle a subject like this. And I, I, I like that. I like that approach. You know, back in 2002, when I wrote the Go Green Initiative, which is a, an environmental education program that's now operating in, in all 50 U.S. states and in 39 countries around the world, what really brought me to the table was the health effects that air pollution had on my own child. My youngest child has asthma. Ah. And, you know, no one had to tell me when here in the Bay Area of California it was a quote-unquote spare the air day. In other words, when air pollution was expected to be rather bad because her asthma she'd wake up with an asthma flare and and every single time it got really bad i would check my email and sure enough it was a spare of the air day and that's when i began to realize you know the human health effects of of environmental issues and environmental pollutants and the more research i did the more i realized that there were other children and other childhood 
diseases and afflictions that were aggravated, if not caused by, environmental issues. You know, and, and a lot of people have this. You know, everybody has a unique way or a unique path of getting to these issues. For you, Dan, what was your path and what was it in your background that caused you to explore this issue of the nexus between climate change and human health? Well, uh, thank, thanks for that question. I, it, it's, uh, I, I've, I come to it from a couple angles, professional and personal. I, and I've, on a personal angle, I've always had a, uh, uh, I've always been, uh, had a pretty strong connection with the outdoors, a lot of, like a lot of outdoor activities, um, canoeing and hiking, and I've always uh, enjoyed those types of activities. So, uh, and on a professional level, I think that it was, I, I knew it was an important subject when, when the opportunity came up to write this book and that, and that I was in a, in a position to contribute. I, I've, I've been a science journalist since the late 1990s and before that I was a biologist so I had you know from my training and just from it just I had a long-standing fascination with these intricate and complex links and the beauty of forests and wetlands and rivers and coastal seas and creatures that live there so that's that's sort of that's a long-standing fascination of mine and I've also covered a lot of health I've done a lot of medical reporting um, a lot of public health reporting so as, as a journalist, I, you tend to focus intensely on the story that you're working on, and uh, but you, it's not always easy to step back and connect the dots. And so, when uh, for me, as the co-author of this book, when a project like this came along, it was just a great opportunity to connect the dots for myself. And I figured if I was, you know, struggling to connect the dots on these complex issues, that I probably wasn't the only one. And so, I wanted to help communicate uh, the the connections. Uh, as far as as far as health and and, and as far as as, as uh, asthma respiratory issues, I, I actually uh, am affected myself with allergies. From uh, we we talk about in the book how the higher CO two levels uh, affect uh, ragweed pollen and allergies. So it, there is a personal link as far as health as well. Uh, so it's a combination of personal and professional that led me here. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that. That's evident as you as you write the book. I mean, it's very clear that there's uh, it's it's not just facts. There's passion behind it. Um, I, I'd like to talk for a moment about an issue that we've covered from a number of different angles on this show, and that's clean water. And for a moment, I'd love for you to talk about how, besides clean air, the most vital human need, and that's clean water. Um, a lot of people don't understand how rising temperatures can actually affect our supply of clean water. Yes, that's a great question. Uh, so, so how how can and and you cut out there for just a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to, but I'm gonna address how rising temperatures affect uh, the need for for clean water and and the way that the way that's happening is in, in several ways. So as the atmosphere as the temperatures in the atmosphere rise, uh, mountain glaciers are melting all over the world, and there are hundreds of millions of people. In on uh, on most continents that are that rely on glacial runoff for drinking and irrigation water and for hydropower. I mean, this is true in uh, in places like Peru and South America. This is true in Southeast Asia, the runoff from glaciers in the Himalayas, and this is true in the Western United States. This is true. I mean, uh, the Colorado River obviously supplies water for for millions and millions of people. So uh, as 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 temperatures rise, mountain glaciers melt, and the runoff uh, decreases. And, and, and in those areas, then people will have to start relying on on rainwater rather than this glacial runoff. 
climate change is also making dry areas drier. It's making wet areas wetter and dry areas drier. And, and I just want to take a, a step back to explain why. Uh, it has to do with how the as the the earth warms, the oceans warm too, uh, more water uh, is evaporated into the atmosphere. It, it speeds up the rate. This is a natural cycle. Water comes off the ocean, comes over land, rain, snows, runs off back to the sea, but this is happening faster. Because of the complexities of the climate system, uh, the interior of the continent are, are, are generally getting drier, and so that affects water supply in, in a lot of areas. Uh, in, in, in the West, in the Southwest, and, uh, and also in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, places that are semi-arid now and, and could be getting drier. So these are ways that the climate system works to uh, reduce the water supply. And did, well, you, did, okay. did you ask me? And it's you it's really interesting, too. You know, I didn't make this connection until fairly recently. I think last April, the National Geographic... Um, volume in last April was all about water. And I love National Geographic magazine. Yeah. And they talked about how, um, you know, everybody's worried about rising oceans, you know, as the glaciers melt. But what that really means is that all this fresh water that's trapped in glaciers, as it begins to quickly um, melt, uh, much more quickly, as you were saying, than, than we've seen in the past, that we, we can't capture all of that fresh water. We can't hold all of that fresh water, especially like I saw last year in China, these floods coming down. And, and so a lot of that water runs off into the sea. And then guess what? It becomes salinated and it's not fresh water anymore. Right. And so that's, that's one of the things that I find very concerning. I, I, there are huge swaths of land in China that are, are going to be affected by this and hence a huge percentage of the human population. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to be back with so much more. We're going to be talking about the effect that climate change is having on human health and some reasonably foreseeable uh, situations in the 21st century when it comes to human health as it relates to climate change. So don't go away, folks. There's lots more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you. Every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're joined by Dan Ferber, who's the co-author of a brand new book called Changing Planet, Changing Health, How the Climate Crisis Threatens Our Health and What We Can Do About It. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio today. My pleasure, Joe. Well, right before the break, we were talking about how rising temperatures and climate change actually can decrease the amount of clean, drinkable water that we have on the planet. And Dan, I'd like for you to take that one step further. How does that situation, this lack of fresh water and clean drinking water, affect human health? So it's one of the most serious global health problems that we have, and it's already a factor even in the beginning years of climate change. Uh, already one billion people lack access to safe drinking water reliably, and this, this lack, uh, according to uh, health officials, causes uh, 1.7 million deaths and 54 million lost healthy life years. Uh, the United Nations Environmental Program estimates that by, by 2025, two out of three on the people on the planet will live in water stress conditions. So how does that affect health? In, in, in a couple of ways. Uh, one way, when water is scarce, it's hard to have uh, good sanitation, and uh, poor sanitation leads to outbreaks of diarrheal disease, for example, and, and, and skin diseases, and uh, pathogens that infect uh, drinking water uh, do better as temperatures warm. Another way is a little bit uh, unexpected, uh, another way that climate change will affect the drinking water supply, which is that as uh, the intense weather, the extreme weather, increases uh, more, more heat waves, more dry conditions, but also more intense storms. Both of these can, uh, from flooding, for example, can cause pollution of drinking water with runoff from livestock operations or sewage. And again, this, these can cause outbreaks of, of infectious disease. And in, in this country, it's not immune to this. In, in uh, 1994, Milwaukee, uh, there was an outbreak of uh, cryptosporidium, and it was traced back to ex- heavy rains that, that washed off uh, pathogens from livestock farms, and 400,000 people got sick from that, and 100 people died. So this is, this is a problem uh, that affects uh, human health in a lot of ways, and when it's too dry, then people leave containers outside to collect rainwater in developing countries. These containers can breed mosquitoes. So there are different ways that this can affect health, and mosquitoes can lead to uh, diseases like dengue fever, and, and dengue, dengue fever is a big problem in, in, uh, throughout the Americas. 
Well, and it, it even I know that in the the western region of the United States, we've talked about you know, the West Nile virus and things like that. I mean, a lot of people who used to have cute little bird baths in their yards um, have gotten rid of those. Any kind of standing water, a lot of people are, are reticent to, to put those out anymore uh, to draw mosquitoes that may carry those kinds of, of pathogens as well. So, um, boy, there's just a lot to consider. It's not just about being thirsty. It's about uh, so much more. You know, one of the things that I found so interesting in your book uh, was a body of research that's beginning to look at the effects of rising levels of CO2 and our crops. A lot of people have said, hey, you know, what's the big deal? So greenhouse gas emissions rise. Well, plants love CO2, so we'll just have a big green plant and it'll be awesome. But actually, there's some research that you discuss in the book that says that, well, maybe the plants will be nice and green, but some of our staple crops may actually have less harvest, less yield under rising CO2 conditions. Would you tell us more about that? Right, right. Thanks for that question. Uh, the the, uh, the idea that, that rising CO2 levels will green the earth, that was something that, that people latched onto early on, uh, particularly uh, some of the people who were uh, denying the existence of climate change or the possible harm from it. Uh, and there is, and, and even scientists were uh, not so sure it early on. And and the reason why is that that rising CO2 does, like you said, it, it does help plants produce more more. Uh, it, it feeds plants, uh, but as the carbon dioxide rises and the atmosphere changes, it turns out that insects keep up, and insect, insects that eat plants. And so when I was reporting the book, I visited. A, an experimental uh, plot, farm plot in Illinois where they study this. And what they do is they, it, it is an open-air plot where they, uh, the setup is to pump CO2 into this plot to create the atmospheric conditions expected in 2050, say, or so, and then see what happens to the plants. And meantime, this is open to the field so insects can come and go. And so they have a good setup to, to test what happens to the crops. In this case, it's soybean. Uh, there are similar setups around the world for to look at other crops and forests, and what they found was that the these crops were 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 getting hit. This 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 carbon dioxide fertilization wasn't happening, and uh, we, we talk about the, some some of the the they they dig a little deeper into the biology to figure out why this is happening, and it has to do with the. Uh, uh, the ways that plants and insects are always fighting each other. Mm -hmm. uh, they basically have chemical warfare between plants and insects. That's that's ongoing. Uh, but uh, one of the, one of the interesting things is this this is this was pretty unexpected even to scientists ten years ago. It's kind of this is a story that's that's emerged over the past eight ten years. And uh, when people have done similar experiments on other crops, uh, they find they're finding similar results. So things like uh, beetles and aphids, they're just eating more of the crop, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a real uh, problem when it, turn, when, it, when it comes to crop yields. Right. Well, you know, and there are other impacts that climate change is expected to have on our food supply, and I'd love for you to discuss uh, some more of, of those impacts that we can foresee on our food supply. Yeah, and so, for example, uh, it's it's the same idea as as the as the temperate regions get a little bit warmer, it's 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 creating a a uh, environment in which pathogens can thrive. That's the that's the case. That's one way. That's the case for uh, 
a, for example, a fungal disease called soybean rust, which was traditionally in warmer areas. And as the uh, temperatures warmed in this country, it has moved into this country and it has moved north. And also it is, it is carried, uh, it actually came into this country on a hurricane and the winds of a hurricane that spores did. Uh, th- these are hugely expensive problems. It, it, for example, it cost uh, Brazil $2.5 billion in, in 2004. Uh, there are other other pests, aphids, whiteflies, locusts that that can come in when under under different conditions, often dry conditions. But that's not the only way that that climate change affects food production by increasing extreme weather. So, if you have more heat waves and more droughts, you're gonna you're gonna damage the yield on average from year to year, and that's what climate change is doing and is expected to do more of. In addition, uh, the Weeds. So, in a fast-changing climate like we're we're going to see this century, adaptable creatures thrive. Adaptable plants, adaptable animals. Well, those that means weeds. Weeds are adaptable. So, weeds already cut global crop yields by about forty percent. It's about three hundred billion uh, annually. And uh, as we see more damage from weeds and insects, we're going to need uh, what, what, based on how our system is set up now, we're going to need more chemicals, more pesticides and herbicides to fight that. So you're going to have uh, increased chemical use unless we find other ways of doing this, which, which are possible, uh, that, you know, that increased chemical use can affect the water supply. So these are some of the ways that this affects crop yields. Uh, there have been estimates that every degree, and this is to tie it together, every degree of global warming might cut crop yields by 10% global crop yields. And, and uh, wow. we're in a world where it's, we're already straining to feed the 6.7 billion people in the world. So it's going to be a challenge. Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing and pretty frightening to think about that. I mean, especially for those of us who have children, uh, we've got skin in the game. We have Absolutely. our own DNA going forward. Long after you know we're gone, we've got uh, a legacy to protect. Um, I'd like to talk about these extreme weather events for a moment because a lot of us who are not scientists uh, struggle to understand how climate change actually creates more hurricanes or floods or you know these extreme weather conditions that we're seeing. How, in layman's terms, can you help us understand how that works together? Sure, absolutely, and, and it, it's not it's not straightforward. It, 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 it's a con- the climate system is a complex system, but but here but but it, it works. The, sim- the simplest uh, way to, to look at it, I think, is, is if you go back and and look at what's what's happening by putting a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you're creating a blanket over the earth, which warms warms the atmosphere, warms the land, warms the oceans. The, the oceans are the key here. The oceans actually, even though the air has been warming, the oceans have held 22 times more heat than the air. So, so it's basically like heating up a bathtub. You have a lot of residual heat in in the oceans, and as that heats up, then uh, just like if you warm up a bathtub, there's going to be more more water, more steam coming off, or more more water vapor coming off, and that comes up into the atmosphere. And what comes up must come down. Now, this is this is a normal water cycle of the planet, but it's faster now. So, uh, so what you're getting more uh, more water in the atmosphere, more humidity, and that creates uh, more torrential rains, just just heavier rains, and and that 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 creates the extremes of the weather. So, the other extremes come from heat waves, and that you know it's generally getting warmer. So uh, by destabilizing the climate system, the climate system is becoming uh, a little more unstable, 
and that is uh, creating these various forms of extreme weather, not just ex not just uh, torrential rains, but also heat waves and, and drought. So, th so that's that's how this is this is coming about. Well, and it isn't all just uh, global warming. That Sometimes I think that's sort of an inaccurate term. Climate change is really the better one because, as we saw even here in the U.S., the snowmageddon uh, of this past winter, I was reading an article that said that they think that perhaps some of this increased water vapor as it sweeps through the jet stream in um, Siberia and picks up some of the, the colder temperatures and gets whipped across the jet stream, that that actually can create uh, some cooling, you know, unusual and extreme cooling situations like we have seen with all the snow uh, in various regions of the U.S. and around the world. And so climate change really is the better term because sometimes we, we get fixated on the warming issue. And, yeah, and it sometimes it's more extreme in the cold. <laughs> it's a great point. I mean, I, I personally think global warming was a mis, misfortunate, an unfortunate term to uh, apply to it early on because it, it makes it seem almost benign. But uh, climate change is, is, is much more accurate because warming is, is only a part of what's happening. Right. And as you mentioned, it's a very complex system. We don't... I don't think we, we fully understand or appreciate and may not for quite some time exactly what it's going to mean. We just know that it's changing and we know that it's happening um, very quickly. We, we have to go to a quick commercial break, but we've got so much more to discuss about this nexus between climate change and human health. And it's really something that I think uh, everyone, especially moms and dads who are doing all these things you know, to prepare for their children's future and to create healthy and uh, sustainable lifestyles for their children, something that we need to consider, something we need to think about, and we're going to get into the issues of what can the average person do about all this. It seems like such a huge and overwhelming issue, but don't go away. We're going to be talking about that right after this commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tovanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tovanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Tovanta Energy, visit us today at www.tovantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're talking about one of the most important issues that we could talk about when it comes to what's going to happen as the climate changes, and that is what will be the effect on human health. Uh, we're talking with Dan Ferber, who's the co-author of a brand new book that uh, I, I really, really recommend getting a hold of. It's called Changing Planet, Changing Health, How the Climate Crisis Threatens Our Health and most importantly, what we can do about it. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio today. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, you know, as I've mentioned so many times on Go Green Radio, what keeps me in the game, what got me into the green industry to begin with was children, specifically my own and the health effects that they were suffering uh, as a result of some environmental issues such as air pollution. As I mentioned, my youngest child suffers from al uh, allergies and asthma. And as air quality changes in the Bay Area of California, so does her ability to breathe. And I'm just wondering, you know, when we talk about climate change, are we going to be seeing more of these kinds of health impacts, especially to children? And, and I worry about children being even more susceptible to the health effects of climate change than even adults. Could you speak to that issue? Yes, absolutely, and it's, it's a, unfortunately it's a legitimate concern because children are, are more susceptible to some of these effects. Um, I can uh, relate. Uh, first of all, there's several ways that uh, that air climate change affects uh, affects health through through air pollution and uh, and asthma, and, and it affects uh, kids with asthma. So for so there so a couple ways this happens uh, as as carbon dioxide rises more. Uh, Ragweed, which is the cause of of uh, fall allergies, of hay fever for for most people, uh, the, the the ragweed plant produces more pollen and more potent pollen. So, it's it's not just something we're imagining. There is more asthma. There is more allergies out there. Uh, in addition, the root cause of climate change, which is burning fossil fuels, is also what causes air pollution. So we have the uh, tailpipe pollutants. Uh, the uh, nitrogen oxide or NOx gases, which, call it, which form smog in the atmosphere. We have soot from the burning the diesel, the black, black soot. Those little particles infiltrate the lungs. One of the interesting things that uh, my co-author, Paul Epstein, found in a study about 10 years ago was that uh, 
the higher well he he discovered the higher carbon dioxide levels uh we the ragweed plants produce more pollen but some other folks discovered that these soot particles actually carry the ragweed pollen into the lungs so th- this is sort of how it happens and and when i was reporting the book i i i, I, I was uh i visited the uh, outpatient clinic at harlem hospital and the reason i went to harlem is that that it's sort of an the epicenter of the asthma epidemic uh incidences are up to four times the national level for children in Harlem, incidence of asthma. So I, I met a, a doctor named uh, Dr. Ben Artez, and, and he treats a lot of asthma patients. And I was actually in an in a, in a exam room where he was examining a family, a mom and three kids, and they all had asthma. And it was similar to the story you were telling at the beginning. Uh, these kids, when it, was a, when it was a bad air day, I mean, that, Dr. Ortiz was asking the mom, and it was, a, it was a bad air day when I was there. It was July in New York. It was heading up into the 90s. And so he asked the mom, you know, what do you, what do, you do when, when the air is bad? And, and uh, she, she's, she's, we stay, she's like, we stay inside. We, they, they can't go out. So it's already influencing uh, people's lives, uh, a lot of children. And uh, the, so we're already seeing some of these effects. Well, and their little bodies, I mean, children breathe so deeply, and when we talk about black soot and some of the particulate matter that makes up what we would consider smog or air pollution, um, we really, our bodies have no defense against some of these tiny little uh, particulate, you know, pieces that go deeply into the lungs, and, you know, we know that uh, adults metabolize and, and process certain environmental toxins and chemicals and, and what have you differently than children. Um, and, and I'm just really concerned that this is something that um, we're going to see more of. I mean, we've already seen a huge spike in allergies, as you mentioned, asthma, um, uh, autism. There's just so many childhood ailments that we're seeing right now that um, we don't fully understand the environmental impact uh, that that may be causing these, but certainly as we've seen climate change and we've seen uh, more toxins, more pollutants in the air, water, and food uh, around us, we're seeing that the instances of these childhood ailments are are going through the roof. I mean, and and some people say, well, that's just reporting of it is better, um, and and a lot of parents feel like that doesn't fully explain it at all. You know, I'd like to get into a little bit more of the the world around us. I mean, naturally, Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners live in the U.S., but there are going to be other parts of the world affected by climate change and and that are, as you mentioned, already vulnerable to climate change. And I'd like to talk about what those areas of the world are and and how that might affect the U.S. as well. I mean, it's, it's definitely something we need to worry about domestically, but there are some international issues that we need to be concerned about as well. What areas of the world are most vulnerable to these uh, climate-related health issues? That's a great question. Uh, the, the short answer is developing countries. They, they don't have the infrastructure and resilience necessarily that we have in the United States and in other, other northern developed countries. What the, the places that are going to be particularly vulnerable the places that come to mind for me right now are sub-Saharan Africa. This is an area, of course, in the late 70s and early 80s already had a catastrophic famine that had to do with drought. Well, it, it turns out that 
drought is drought is uh, worsening in that area, and and it and it has been linked to climate change. I, we actually talk about that in the book a little bit, as the Indian Ocean warms, as changes the. Uh, flow of, of water over, over inland Africa and the rains in Ethiopia, and people are actually watching that area already for signs of famine. So that's an area that, that, is, uh, that needs to be really concerned. In that area, it's rain-fed agriculture, so all you have is what comes down from the sky. If you, if you don't have the rain, you don't have the crops, you don't have the crops, you have malnutrition plus potentially famine. So there's, there's potentially serious concerns if the crop supply uh, diminishes. That's one place. Um, other places, like we talked about before, places that rely on glacial runoff and uh, for their water supply. Other areas in the tropics. When we visited, uh, I visited Honduras for uh, to to uh, report this book. And the reason that I went there was to see the aftermath of a massive hurricane, uh, Hurricane Mitch, in 1998. So, Hurricane Mitch made. Hurricane Katrina looked like a spring shower. It was the biggest storm in 200 years in the Western Hemisphere. Six feet of rain fell over Honduras in a couple of days and turned hillsides into mud. I visited a neighborhood that had totally collapsed on a hillside, and 300 homes fell into a river, and it was a real disaster. And so the question is... um, those types of of extreme events, uh, number one, they they are going to increase uh, to some degree in this century because very powerful hurricanes uh, are predicted to rise. Uh, also, do these do these countries have the the means to rebuild? So maybe maybe not. So in a place like maybe in a place like this. You had, in the aftermath of this hurricane, you had outbreaks of all kinds of infectious diseases, in addition to the people, of course, that are affected by the, the violence of the storm itself and the flooding. So this is, this is really a way that, this is really another area that is uh, potentially going to be seriously impacted uh, as the climate changes. Well, and we're hearing a new term, it's new to me anyway, um, climate refugees or climate migrants. Talk about this concept and um, what we might expect to see over the next you know, few years in terms of people being displaced by the effects of climate change. Right. So, the, I, yeah, the idea, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, what, what, what happens if you live in an area that somehow becomes no longer livable? And that is, that is the worry in, in, in parts of the world. If you are in an area, uh, nomadic herders in semi-arid regions in Africa, that their land turns to desert, where do they go? People who live on Pacific islands uh, that become just uninhabitable because of sea level rise, where do they go? People who live in Bangladesh that already live in very low-lying areas, millions and millions of people, where do they go? So it, it is. It is. There is a. There is a possibility, and that that over the next few decades, that we we could see people in areas that are. It's just becoming too difficult to live. They they're gonna uh, naturally want to live a place where it, it is is easier to live. And who wouldn't? I mean, you can't blame them for that. Right, I mean, are there absolutely. any plans uh, internationally, domestically, you know, in terms of public policy to deal with that issue of climate refugees? Well, I, I don't know that I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I can give you a good answer on uh, the current plans. There, there, there may be. It's a little out, out of out of my depth on that one. But uh, I, I certainly think that there need to be, and uh, it, it's it's very important to uh, be able to predict. So, 
Uh, we, one thing we did talk about in, in the book is, is, is what, what could happen in, in a situation like that. This, it was a slightly different scenario, which was uh, uh, if uh, climate crosses a tipping point or abrupt climate change. But in this scenario, it did cause climate refugees uh, from the Caribbean, from countries south of the U.S. who wanted to get into the United States. And in the scenario, which was prepared for the Pentagon by consultants, so people took this quite seriously, so one of the possibilities is the United States having to militarize its borders, and and people are you know even even talking down the line about potential for you know resource wars. I mean this is this is pretty extreme, and and uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that people can do to to prevent that sort of thing. But when things get scarce, uh, sometimes people tend to fight about them, and so that is a possibility, and we do need to be aware of it. Well, and I want to talk more about that. I mean, many of my Go Green listeners know that I'm a former uh, lieutenant in the United States Navy, and uh, this is something that I think we need to really be aware of. So we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this this topic and this subject of what happens when natural resources get scarce and, um, you know, what what's going to happen then. Uh, so don't go away, folks. We've got lots more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm glad that you joined us today. And if you happen to have joined us late and you said to yourself, gosh, I wish I would have I would have grabbed the beginning of that show, don't worry. Because if you go to voiceamerica.com and you click on the Green Living button, that's a whole channel of great green shows of every type. But this particular episode of Go Green Radio will air again next Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, noon to 1 on the East Coast there on the Green Living channel. So you can check that out if you've missed part of the show or if you want to recommend it to your friends, please do. We're joined today by Dan Ferber. He is the co-author of a brand new book called Changing Planet, Changing Health, How the Climate Crisis Threatens Our Health and What We Can Do About It. And we're glad to have him on. Before the commercial break, we were talking just a little bit about, okay, so what happens if we have a lot of people who all of a sudden live in an area where either natural resources become scarce or or there's an extreme weather event that makes their area unlivable. Um, some folks are starting to look at the possibility of climate refugees, climate migrants, people who need to find a more um, inhabitable uh, existence. And who can blame them? I mean, that's what we want for our families. That's what we want for our children. And the Pentagon is actually, uh, since Eisenhower was president, been looking at various scenarios from a military aspect. Um, I know uh, I've seen some of these studies that are out there. You can even Google them. There's an Eisenhower project. There's some uh, organizations that uh, are comprised primarily of veterans that are uh, even some senior military officials who are looking at um, the possibility of what our military may have to do to protect uh, United States interest should natural resources become scarce on a large global level. So that's something that we could we can talk about uh, more thoroughly in another episode of Go Green Radio, but I invite you to check it out. It is something that um, is very interesting and somewhat um, troubling topic. Well, Dan, back to your book, and, and I, I'd like to give you a chance to tell our listeners where they can find your book real quick, because I think a lot of people are going to want to. Where can they find Changing Planet, Changing Health? Uh, it's Changing Planet, Changing Health is available at uh, every online book bookseller, uh, and I encourage people to also check out the book website, changingplanetchanginghealth.com, which will give you a channel to various online booksellers and, and, and also local bookstores. It should be available. Absolutely. Uh, well, and, and it is a terrific book. And as I mentioned in an earlier segment, the way that it's written, it's very accessible. I mean, Dan is a, is a journalist who has written about some very personal stories from people all over the world who've been affected by climate change. So you'll find that the book, though it's filled with terrific amounts of research and data, it's also filled with some very um, enjoyable and and easy to read stories about real human beings. It's, it's as much a human interest piece as it is a research book that's going to stay on my shelf, dog-eared as it can be. Uh, Dan, what are some of the domestic and international public policy ramifications of climate change? I mean, I know that you deal with this in the book. What are some changes that you feel like need to be made to existing policy in order to adequately address the health issues that we can reasonably foresee as the climate changes? 
Right, right, and 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 that's that's important to think about. We we do put for, put out in the book a set of solutions. The goal of the solutions that we put out is to protect human health. That is the, the single goal. And on the on the uh, national and international, we talk about solutions that individuals can do and and communities can do. We can talk about that. But on the on the national level, we. I, there, there needs to be a, a large effort to promote a transition to renewable energy. The ultimate cause of climate change is burning coal, oil, gasoline, all gas, natural gas, all of these, all of these uh, fossil fuels. And the sooner that we can make the transition to renewable energies, that um, that the, the better. So we we talk about some policies which were in favor at the time uh, we were writing in the book, uh, cap and trade, and have, have since fallen out of favor a bit in Washington. But the idea of of taking away uh, breaks that are given to fossil fuel companies, subsidies, and instead giving them to renewable energies, it's still a good idea. Uh, there are a lot of special interests involved that are fighting, and there's a lot of confusion, and a lot of it is created by special interests. But we need to uh, take the, make, make the policy moves to move towards uh, renewable energy. On the international level, we talk about how the policies of the uh, international financial institutions, the uh, World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and the uh, World Trade Organization, how they have promoted environmental destruction and damaged human health uh, around the world. And, and, and for example, by promoting uh, debt in developing countries, these developing countries uh, have to sell off the resources that they have just to pay their debt. So what do they do? They sell off what they have. They, they, they can liquidate a forest. Well, if you liquidate a tropical rainforest, that's not good for the planet. We need those forests. So what we are proposing is a, a, a whole-scale uh, global effort to, uh, to fund the transition to renewable energy all over the world and also to protect forests. And some of this is already happening. Uh, there, there was some funding provided in, in Copenhagen, in the Copenhagen rounds of the climate talks for preserving forests in developing country, countries. It's too little. Uh, we need a lot more. And we can do it by some changes in the, in the, fin international, in the financial rules to discourage currency speculation and stabilize. The reason that's important is you want to create conditions where countries all over the world can, can invest in protecting their environment and invest in protecting public health. So these are, these are some of the solutions that we're, we're proposing to protect public health as climate changes. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are a lot of our listeners who are going to dive right into you know, those particular chapters of the book, and they're very interested in public policy. And then there'll be Go Green Radio listeners who are like, hey, I am just an average, everyday citizen who loves my kids, um, and I'm concerned about my grandkids. What can everyday people do to prepare themselves and their families for the kinds of things you're talking about in the book? Um, should we be putting together multi-generational family plans to address climate change? What can we do? Well, I, I think there's there's a, there's a lot that that everybody can do as as individual homeowners. Uh, you know, we we drive cars, we we heat our homes. 
We are members of businesses, of congregations, of communities. There's a lot that people can do on local level. So, uh, for example, on uh, we talk about some ordinary people who are already taking uh, some what I would regard as as extraordinary steps. Uh, a couple in Illinois that 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 we profile in the book. Uh, you know, ten years ago, they decided they were going to put in a geothermal system in in their house, a ground source heat pump to cut down on on their heating bills, but to do it in a green way. And this was long before most people have started started talking about it. Well, that paid off paid itself off in five years in energy savings. There's we talk about a talk to a farmer in California who put in small scale wind. So basically, what we're advocating is taking it a step up from from the things that people that that are commonly talked about putting in the uh the 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 curly light bulbs which are important and 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 riding our bike instead of taking short trips in a car important stuff but we uh would would urge people to to step it up a notch and that's on an individual level and and, and you know promoting weatherization and we can work in 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 and in our businesses if if we're if we're in the business world uh, businesses can invest. They sometimes have more money to invest in energy efficiency and recycling and looking at the supply chain and seeing that it, it's a short supply chain, locally sourced, things like that. Uh, communities, we talk a lot about what different communities can, can do. And, and as just ordinary, you know, ordinary people, I mean, what we can do is, is, is you know, write a letter to the, to the editor, talk to, you know, to, or to the congressman or to the mayor, and promote some of the policies that make for a healthier community or healthy city. And these might include you know, installing more bike lanes. It might include promoting uh, green rooftops in, in a city. It might include... Uh, mass transit. I live in Indianapolis, which is a city that uh, it does not have a a viable mass transit system, and it's 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 been a, a big effort uh, for many years to get a, a good mass transit system going here. It hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, these are things that or, ordinary people can get involved in. Uh, there are a lot. You know of what really- I love about that, Dan? Yeah. You know, I love that what you're promoting is you know there's this huge global issue. But the answer really does lie in our own individual responses. Collectively, we as individuals can make a difference. Sometimes when we talk about climate change, it seems so big and so overwhelming. Um, But truly, if each and every one of us did some of these smaller actions, it may feel small in our own world, but in our own little space. But collectively, the impact could be huge. And I'm sorry to say we're out of time, but it was great having you on. I encourage everyone to get out on your favorite online uh, book distributor, book uh, uh, sales source there. Mine's Amazon. I'm always out there. And and check out Dan's book with Dr. Paul Epstein, Changing Planet, Changing Health. You can also check out changingplanetchanginghealth.com. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, with more Go Green Radio. Till then, have a wonderful week, and go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 